This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I am really honored today to be talking with Sarah Wilkinson, surviving spouse of Navy SEAL Chad Wilkinson and the founder of Chad X, which uh, we're going to get into a little bit, talk about what that is all about. Sarah, welcome to the Resilient Life Podcast. Thank you so much. It's really nice to be here. Appreciate it. So I, I, as I was telling you before we started recording, I've heard so much about you from uh, Jason McCarthy, uh, the CEO of Go Rock, and he is one of your biggest fans. And really, um, he has shared so much about your strength, your determination, and how you've moved forward after the loss of your husband. But I'd like to kind of bring it back to the beginning. I loved hearing the story of how you and Chad met and love seeing that you were the daughter of a Marine. Uh, we share that connection with each other. And I know that you guys were both military kids uh, that met at a, a DOD high school in Quantico. And tell us about your relationship. Tell us about the beginning of, of your relationship, how that came to be. Um, <laughs> It's just kind of one of those stories that's... Um you know, kind of like they make movies about, I guess, because I met him the first day of high school and he was it. I mean, from the minute I saw him, he was it. So had a crush on him. Um, we were just friends for about two years. He would walk by my locker, you know, and just kind of do that cool guy. Hey, um, but we did start dating and I don't know, there was just something, different. I mean, I was young, right? A high schooler. And so I think most people say, oh, this is your first love and whatever. But I think from the very beginning, I just wanted to be wherever he was and he wanted to be wherever I was. Um, and so that's how our high school went. I mean, he played soccer. I was a swimmer and a cheerleader. We went to each other's games and events and um, homecomings and proms. I ended up moving away my junior year my husband or my husband, my dad got stationed down in Camp Lejeune. So I brought place. Yes. Yeah. And um, so I moved. I think that's about, it was about six hours drive, six and a half hour drive from Quantico. So he, his parents would let him drive down on the weekends um, to come see me. And that's just kind of how it went. It was long distance after that for many years. So again, you're, you're the daughter of a Marine. Chad is the son of a Navy SEAL. And mm -hmm. I read that, you know, Chad at a young age was kind of professing his love for the Navy and wanted to be a SEAL himself. Um, I'm familiar with that story, having a dad who's a Marine and a brother who went into the Marine Corps. Um, what, if any, and, and again, you know, I try to think back to, you know, when my brother uh, became a Marine and, and when, you know, Chad's looking to, to enter and become a SEAL, um, it's pre 9-11, right? And so there, it, it's a different world. I, uh, and I don't know if you felt the same way and I'd love to know, 
you know, when, when my brother, my brother, his path was through the Naval Academy. And so when he went to the Naval Academy, it was 1999. And I didn't have one ounce of fear for the career path, which I knew was in front of him because I had watched my dad for 20 plus years in the Marine Corps. And again, during a very peaceful time in our nation's history, um, did you have any reservations uh, about Chad becoming a Navy SEAL? No. Yeah. Uh, and you know that it, I echo the same sentiment. I mean, my dad was a Marine. He didn't go to Vietnam. He kind of came in at the end of that. Um, and he was in Desert Storm. I think when I was in sixth grade, maybe he was gone for over a year, but that was really the extent of it. Um, and he was an officer and he was an engineer. So his role was very different over there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the world was different. Chad graduated high school in 1994. And when we were in high school, he had, I actually just found them yesterday and showed our daughter the posters, the Navy SEAL posters he had hung up in his bedroom. We still have those. Oh, that's cool. Um, and I'll be honest, I didn't even know what a Navy SEAL was. Even, even when I was in high school, my dad was a Marine. Like, I didn't know. Uh, and he would watch movies, every classic, you know, movie you can think of. But him wanting to join the military didn't seem scary to me because it was the only thing I knew. It was the only thing he knew. So, so to me, it was totally good to go. I know that sounds probably pretty naive, but. No, but, and, and again, what a different time because again, you know, when I was in high school, I don't know that I really fully understood conceptually what a Navy SEAL was, right? It was like the Navy's, a, you know, the Marine Corps is part of the Department of the Navy. What's a Navy SEAL, right? I, I would argue to say that largely the majority of our country didn't know what a Navy SEAL was until post 9-11 when Navy SEALs kind of came into the picture of like, oh, these are Navy SEALs, right? And so if you weren't connected in a big way, you didn't understand this elite fighting force uh, that was part of the Navy. So I, I get that. So you guys marry young, you have your first child uh, when you're 23. And um, at the time, Chad is active duty. How is that being a young wife? You know, you had a daughter that, that had some medical issues when she was young and, you know, ha going through those challenges. Did you start to understand? Because I look back and I never appreciated um, the role my mom played as a military spouse. And I have such a deep appreciation for, for her role in my, in growing up and not recognizing that a lot of it fell on her. And mm -hmm. so what was that like for you? Did, did things kind of shift where you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is a lot. You know, what's crazy is I haven't felt that until now. Like my situation that I'm in now, I can reflect back on parts of my life and be like, wow, that was, that was really tough. And like, I can't believe you kind of just pushed through that. I think when you're, for me anyway, in the middle of a hardship, you don't even recognize it as that. I was just doing what I needed to do. And so we married young and we had our daughter and um, I stayed home with her. She, she, she had open heart surgery when she was a baby. Um, very common actually in babies, but that was scary. Um, but I just kind of pressed through. I, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. You just do what you have to do as a mom and she's amazing today. And um, I think I didn't see it as doing anything extra or anything hard because 
because again, I was a military kid and this just naturally transpired in my own life. Yeah. It was just part of it, what it was. And, and so Chad left the Navy Mm -hmm. for three years from 2004 to 2007. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about why he made that decision and then talk about this idea that that both of you felt very unsettled and like it was from what I've, from what I've read and heard that it, it wasn't a a good time, uh, in your lives when he left. Yeah. It, uh, again, you know, I've said before, like, I think people are creatures of habit and, and people do what they know. It doesn't mean it's a good habit or a bad habit. We just, it's how we're built, right? Uh, So being in the military always seemed like a good option. It's what Chad wanted to do. I was a military spouse, but once we had our daughter and then I was pregnant with my son, our son, um, you start to think like, I don't know, is this the best life? I mean, that whole, the grass is greener on the other side. What if we're the parents that do something completely different and we do the nine to five job and you're home every night and we make meals together and all of that came into play. And I don't think Chad was necessarily like, yes, I definitely want to get out. I think he was just being a man and making a decision that he felt was best for his family that was the most important to him. And we made that plan and we transferred out. And by most people's standards, if they would have looked at our life, we had a really great life. We we really did have a great life. And I can say that both in the military, those first 10 years, and when we got out and he got a great job and we had an adorable house and we had a daughter and a son, and we made friends in our civilian life. Um, we lived closer to his family, who we saw more regularly. But you can have all those things and still be miserable. Yeah. There's certain people, I think, in the world that kind of work to live or live to work, right? Some people are okay just going to a job that maybe they're not happy in, but the flip side provides them value, whether it's weekends or money or, or things. I don't think Chad or I are wired that way. We're wired to do something that we feel called upon to do. Um, we're wired to do something that we both feel passionate about. And I've said it before. I mean, he was born with the heart of a warrior. I believe that, that there are certain men and women that serve our country that have a heart of a warrior and that's who he was. And we did it, but from the, from the minute we got out of the military. And again, part of it was probably like, it was new, right? It's something we didn't know, but we really did give it like a solid try and we're not quitters, but there just came a point where it wasn't working. He was miserable. Then I was miserable. Were we really being the great greatest person for our kids. And thankfully they took them back. It's, it's funny. You say we weren't quitters. You weren't quitters by, uh, leaving the military and then going back. But, you know, I think you, you touch on something really important, this idea that, um, and theory of living a purposeful life, right. Mm -hmm. And no matter what you do and, and, and I always say, like, listen, not everybody is going to find that purpose or passion in their job. Some people, it is essential, right? Like, 
they have to put food on their table. They have no other options. Like they're, they may not find that passion, um, in the job that gives them a paycheck, but you have to search for that. You have to look for that somewhere. If it's not in your career, you've got to look for that outside of your career. You have to find something that drives you to, and, and I, and I think some are drawn like Chad saying he had the heart of a warrior. I totally understand that notion, but I think if everybody could find something that brought them purpose, um, just think of the transformational change that would happen in society if people latched onto that idea. And I think in a lot of ways, a lot of people just are, are unaware of what that feeling is, you know, because they haven't experienced it. So, um, I'm always driving people saying like, Hey, look, you know, I feel blessed every single day to wake up and to feel passionate about the work I do. Um, but I realize not everybody has that in their day job, but I'm always saying like, you've got to find that somewhere. And it exists somewhere for each and every one of us, for sure. I, I agree. I mean, I've, I've echoed those same sentiments. And Chad and I would say, you know, you don't have to go off to your job, skipping off, loving it every single day. But we need to like it most yeah. of the time. And he just got to where he didn't like it. Yeah. You know? So he gets back into the Navy. Uh-huh. And um, he, in by 2008, screens. And um, it gets picked up by Damneck, which uh, for those unfamiliar with that term is, is you know, more, more known um, as SEAL Team 6. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. And it's 2008 now. Mm-hmm. So you clearly know where we are um, in terms of what's happening uh, overseas. It, uh, you know, my brother was killed in 2007. So 2007, 2008 are not good years. Um, mm-hmm for life and loss of our our military service members. And then to be attached to SEAL Team 6, which you'd have to live under a rock today and not heard of SEAL Team 6. Um, It's been sensationalized in a big way, as you know. Um, How does that feel for you? Does anything change? Are you like, and, and, and not only that, but you go from three years of civilian life. That's gotta be a huge shift for you? It was going back to the familiar. Um, It was going back to what we know, someone who wears a uniform and has to do regular PT and goes on training trips and deploys and, and serves among, you know, a large group of men. I mean, um, I, I know to people listening, they're probably like, she wasn't nervous. I think it was more like, my mom always used to tell me no guts, no glory. And that's, it kind of just always resonates with like that. What I, what I say now is to live big and it allowed him to live his biggest life. And I supported that. So, well, it's funny, this idea about being naive, because um, I've had a few people over the, the course of the last several years that have said to me, you know, I mean, you, you, you can never expect it, but wasn't that always in the back of your head that your brother, you know, while he's, while he's deployed, that he's, he's going to die, that he's going to be killed. And I can honestly say, like, that was not something that I thought about. Um, I don't know if it was a 
defense mechanism for me. Um, but I largely pushed that out as even an option for my brother. I thought, you know, even when, and, and again, he went from, uh, his first deployment in a relatively as a logistics officer in a relatively easy assignment to, uh, his next deployment being part of a, a MIT team that was helping to train the Iraqi army. And, and I knew that his second deployment and, and at that point he was first recon with the Marine Corps. So I knew that he was in a different position, but I think I kind of thought about it as like this needle in a haystack type situation. Like, well, it's not, it's not going to happen to my brother. Yeah. I think, I think there's, there's different schools of thought. I think definitely a, a lot of people feel that way. Like there's hundreds and thousands of guys, over, men and women overseas, like it's not going to happen to them. Or, you know, you have belief that the person you love is really good at what they do. Right. And, and that was my thought is like, I think Chad's really good at what he does. I think the guys that he's surrounded by are really good at what they do. And then what I kind of came to understand, because, because in 2008, a lot of deaths started happening for us in our community. I mean, even before then, but I mean, 2008 is just, it got, we just got hit. Yep. I think what I started to live with, and I can't speak for all the wives, but I, I think I would like to think maybe a lot of them feel this way is just, if he gets killed over there, it, it wasn't easy. And he died doing what he loved and was born to do. Right. Um, you know, he felt a call to serve his country and, and protect his country. And so while I don't want him to get killed, I just kind of told myself if he did, then he, he died doing what he loved. Yep. And I think that's kind of the realization you have to hold on to. And I, 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 I always say that. And I believe that like, Travis gave his life doing what he loved and, and he was proud of his service and he was proud of what he was doing over there and the impact that he was making. And so there, there definitely is some comfort in that. Um, and so as 2008, you know, he's screaming, he's part of SEAL Team 6. And of course, you know, there's this idea of that he could be killed in action but you actually said something pretty profound that all along another enemy was quietly creeping into your home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us about that. What, what did you mean when you said that? These men that serve as tier one operators, whenever they go to their commands, whether it be Navy SEALs, damn neck, Delta, fill in the blank, it will change them. It will change that. I, I'm convinced of it. And I can only speak for Chad, but what happens is, is you get into this, you know, select group and you are exposed to many, many training trips, a lot of time away from home, a high cycle time of deployments. Cause as you said, the world was busy yep. and they were deploying 12 months after they would return home. I mean, and that's not just they deploy for, and they do have a shorter cycle time than other branches. I mean, these guys were gone for three to four months, which I know for some of our military, they're gone six to 12 months, which is a long time, but they're gone three to four months and they're going out on missions like every night, right? you know, and they're, the, the pace that they keep is high. Um, and then they come home and 12 months later, they deploy, but in those 12 months, they're also gone training, you know, jumping, all the things. 
and over time, it just changes them. I think the the trauma they experience, the uh, the sleep deprivation, um, being exposed to blast injury, TBIs, multiple concussions from like IEDs, and there's a lot of guys that are still here and with us, which is wonderful, but I'm telling you, I can look at them and just see that they're different. Um, and so Chad was always a quiet guy, super quiet. And I've said before, I mean, I love that about him. He was just, he was just a quiet guy, uh, confident, not cocky, um, quiet spoken, very, very intelligent, um, thoughtful. And as time passed, he just became even more quiet and more of a recluse. He wasn't a big social person to begin with, but it got to be where we really didn't do anything with friends versus those early years coming to the command. It was barbecues and baby showers and birthday parties. I mean, we didn't do any of that. Um, and, you know, over time, like the typical changes you read about, right? Just getting a little more agitated over things that really he shouldn't be. Um, losing his patience, just kind of snapping sometimes. But what happens is you are around someone so long that sometimes you don't see all those changes. Right. And as I've said before, you just kind of say, oh, that's just how he is. And you give all these reasons as to why they're doing that right? Like, oh, he's really stressed with work. They've got probably a big thing happening or a training trip or prepping for deployment. That's just, you know, oh, he hasn't slept really well in a couple of days. I would be irritated too. And, and you just, you just fill in these blanks, not realizing what you're doing, but instead of like what I encourage spouses now to do is, is keep track keep track of those things, like keep a little notebook. And it doesn't mean you have to address the person every single time. Cause that will, that'll only feed their agitation, but start to notice Chad would lose his balance a lot and he would play it off. He'd always make some joke about it. And I look back now and think well, that's weird. So. And I think that is the scariest part of suicide is that people don't always recognize those signs. And even when they're saying, these are the signs to look for, um, I hear so many stories about people saying like, and, and you actually can reflect and look back and say, I did see some of those signs, but there's a lot of people that are like, I saw no signs. Yeah. And um, I, I did not see any signs. And that is, I think the scariest thing about this epidemic. Um, if you're comfortable, I'd love you to share a little bit about the day before Chad died, um, what he was like, what you were feeling. Um, I was working in Raleigh, North Carolina. I was uh, away teaching and I knew that he didn't feel good. He was supposed to be making an appointment with his doctor and he was supposed to be scheduling a meeting with his boss about how he was feeling mentally? Well, I didn't even know mentally. He had just okay. told me that he didn't feel like he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He'd recently switched to a different um, kind of area or subspecialty of work. And he, I, he was just expressing that he didn't feel like it was the right fit. It's not where he's supposed to be. And 
He said, I know I really can't tell you much, so it might not make sense, but it makes me feel good to talk to you. And I said, well, Chad, you're the type of person who every time you set a goal for yourself, you go and do it. I mean, that's just how he was. It was almost annoying, quite honestly, <laughs> because he'd set a goal and he would go do it and he would like crush it and do yeah. really well. And we're both pretty competitive. So um, I said, maybe this is the first time you set a goal for yourself and it's just not what you want to do. You can change your mind. You've just never done that before. Sure. So he was going to talk to his boss about that. Um, and he, I told the kids he was really stressed out. Um, and I just, I just knew that he wasn't happy, I guess, is really what it came down to. And, um, yeah, sorry. I get kind of like, it kind of messes me up a little bit. Um, and so he, I talked to him on Sunday, I had a question and we were talking on the phone and he seemed totally fine. And, um, I, I don't know, I can't explain it. I just felt like he needed me is really what it was. So I just couldn't wait to get home to get to him. So after, uh, his death on October 29th, 2008, um, What goes through your head? Do you immediately think about those signs that? No, no, no. I mean, you're just in such shock. I mean, to me, this was completely out of the blue. Um, you realize, I mean, we, we'd basically been together for 27 years. I mean, my whole life, this person has been my life. Um, and I, I knew him, I know him better than anybody else knows him. And, and I've said before, there is nothing I didn't tell Chad, you know, we were, we were teammates. He, he was, you know, you can say husband and father, and he was all those things. He was my best friend, my very, very best friend. And, um, it was just completely out of the blue. So, um, I think it's not what I think about him. It was more like, wh where did I mess up? Like, what did I do? It's, you know, suicide's pretty complicated and it leaves you with a lot of feelings of like guilt and shame. I think the largest is abandonment. Yeah. And so you just feel like, man, I, what did I, why did he leave us? Why would he leave us? I don't understand why he would leave us. Um, so that's kind of where your, your head initially goes and, and really comes back to a lot of times, but, um, and then I, I, you do all kinds of crazy things. I went through his entire, I didn't sleep. Um, I wouldn't sleep at all. I would stay up all night and I scoured our entire laptops and watched every video and every picture and every GoPro disc I could find. And I, went through his medicine cabinet and I wrote down every medicine he had and who the doctor was and when it was prescribed. And I, I slept in his closet for weeks. I mean, were you looking for signs? Is that, were you looking I, for I like wanted, that? Yeah. That's, you know, smoking bullet or smoking gun, like, Oh, this is it. This is why this is, this is yeah, why. because I think I think for a lot of people, when they lose someone this way, you want like one reason. And, right. and, 
in the civilian side of things, when you research people who die by suicide, it kind of falls into different categories, either drug and alcohol, financial problems, infidelity, uh, mental illness, right? And so you start to look like, what is it? What was it? What, what didn't I know? Um, and I couldn't, couldn't find anything. So then, so then, you know, what happens, it goes right back to you. It, it goes back to like, you weren't good enough. And um, that's like, that's pretty suffocating. Yeah. Um, dealing with that loss and then feeling that burden on top of it, I, I couldn't imagine. And it's, it's always there. I mean, truthfully, that feeling is always there. That feeling will never go away. You just get stronger at carrying it. Yeah. Um, but we did send his brain away to donate. Yeah, um, I saw that. And what made you decide that? Were you like, I, uh, is that an easy decision? Like, I need to figure out what? Well, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, Naval Special Warfare has experienced a lot of deaths. And because of that, they're pretty efficient and effective on how they swoop in. And I can look back now and, and be able to say, like, I, I was very fortunate through this loss to have different foundations, the Navy SEAL Foundation, all in all the time, different organizations step in and just surround me. And I mean, my family and I didn't worry about like meals or my family coming in town to stay. I mean, there's, there's, and I'm Travis Manning found it. I mean, there are organizations out there that do wonderful things, but I didn't even know which way was up. I mean, I remember sitting on my couch and I think in the early day or two, when I was around people, I would just tell stories about Chad. It was like, whatever popped in my head, I would just like rattle it out. <laughs> which I look back now and I bet everybody was like, we don't know what to do. Let's <laughs> let her talk. Um, but with all the paperwork and everything happening, someone came in because you have these Keiko forms you fill out before your husband deploys. And, and I've said this before, but what's crazy is if you've been in a life like this for an extended period of time, you have to redo it or update it before every deployment. It's almost I don't know whether it's sad or whether it's comical, the, the, the relaxed tone this Keiko form takes on. When we first were active duty, you know, you, you labor over everything. Like, do you want to be buried in your uniform? Do you want to be buried in a suit? Do you want bagpipes played? Who do you want to show up at your house? Who's going to take care of your kids? All these questions are answered on a form for civilians listening. Once you do multiple deployments, I mean, I remember making dinner and Chad's like, hey, we got to, we got to update this and we're going through. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Keep that. And then I remember saying, no, you, she can't come because she moved. So she's not going to be able to come with the people to my door because she doesn't live here anymore. Move, change it to this person. It's very casual, wow. uh, which I know is bizarre to people. But again, you have a mindset of nothing's going to happen to them. Right. But if it does. I have to believe that it was just like wrong time, wrong place. It was his time. He was fighting a, a good fight, right? So this, the Keiko form comes out, but in the meantime, so does this brain donation form. And I probably attribute that back to P 
people like um, Dave Collins and Ryan Larkin, previous SEALs who also took their lives, who their families and loved ones have been amazing advocates to kind of push forward this brain donation for our service members. And so I signed it. Because really, if there's any way that you want your loved one to pay their service forward, right, it would be to donate their brain for research and hopefully better understand. And so what they do is it's sent to, there's, there's a couple people that do, do this type of study, but there is a doctor up in Bethesda, and he's had the privilege of having most of our community, Navy SEAL brains who took their lives to suicide, donated for his research. And what he looks for is, as many people have probably heard, CTE, or commonly referred to as punch drunk. It's what we hear about in our, in our NFL players and our boxers, and some of our military have shown CTE in their brain. He also has found what's called interface astroglial scarring. So similar to CTE, but instead of like physical blows to the brain, like our, like our NFL players have, this really comes from kind of like those concussive forces from blast waves. So what our military are seeing when they're exposed to IEDs, RPGs, blasting doors, that those blast waves are causing major detrimental effects to their brain. Um, and that's what Chad had, interface astroglial scarring. So it brings about many similar um, effects that you see in CTE um, that are also similarly aligned with PTSD. So PTSD or PTS, some people prefer to call it post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress disorder. Some people argue the disorder. I'm not here to argue that. It's, you know, it's, it, it's definitely a thing and it comes with many of the things I've already mentioned, you know, um, high stress, high agitation, poor sleep, vision problems, ringing in the ears, headaches, loss of balance. Yes. I think PTSD sometimes gets a little overused, like the word stress and anxiety. And while I think a lot of our military and not even military, people exposed to traumatic things can have post-traumatic stress or stress disorder. What we see in these guys is CTE and interface astroglial scarring. And what I want people to understand is that's a combat wound. That's a wound that they got from training and or years of war. So if you were to go out in town and especially in a military town, you're going to see people who might be in wheelchairs or have prosthetic limbs. And it is a visual reminder of someone who has served our country in years at war. And I just hiked the Grand Canyon rim to rim with a veteran organization that takes wounded veterans and gold star spouses. Operation Canyon Rising, if you wanna check it out, it's, it's small, but it's an amazing thing that this guy does. And I went with two veterans who have, each have a prosthetic leg and they hiked the Grand Canyon. I mean, you cannot complain or say you are hot or tired when you're, when you're walking next to those two badasses. Sure. But what I noticed is when we climbed out of the Canyon, people were there to, to cheer us on. And I noticed immediately people kind of looked at them and it was kind of like a silent respect. They were like, damn, 
Yeah. But what if everybody walked around and looked at our service members and there's nothing visual, but there's a wound? You know, can we pay them the same respect? And so this interface astral globe scarring and or CTE is a combat wound that I want our military and quite frankly, I want our legislation to understand too. And what happens with interface astral globe scarring is that yes, it changes changes the brain, but in addition to all these blast injuries, it changes your body. Like it, it, it changes your physiology in your brain, like down to the cellular level, your metabolism changes, liver function changes, enzymes in your body, uh, cortisol levels, hormones. And, and then what can eventually happen is, you know, we think about like the prefrontal brain and your amygdala, your like limbic brain, deep down in there, they call it your monkey brain. That's what tells us what's safe and what's not, right? right. This is how we know you don't walk into the street because there's cars coming, that's dangerous. The front of our brain is kind of like, hmm, how do I feel about that? And so you've got these two things that talk to one another. This is dangerous, how do I feel about that? Eventually, this, this issue with, with, within the brain can affect the amygdala to where they can't even make decisions regarding their safety because it's affected. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and I'm no doctor. I just read a lot and listen to a lot of podcasts. No, this is like super fascinating. And I think it speaks to a lot of things. Number one, it's, it's like, this is a physical wound, right? Yes. And that's something that, you know, listen, it's largely ignored in the military. It's largely ignored in the NFL. It's largely, I mean, it is, it is something that, and, and there is a lot of pounding on doors lately um, to bring the awareness like you're speaking about, but I wonder, and I'm no doctor either, and this may sound like a silly question, but is there a way to, um, just like you say, you know, PTS is, um, can sometimes be overdiagnosed, right? Is, is there a way to test for this? Um, no. no. So. Sorry. Sorry, I just, that's what's terrifying about it is there is no test. The only test you get is post-mortem. So when your person dies, if you want to, you can choose to donate their brain. And that's how you would know. Um, which is one thing that I would really like to encourage and see change on is that with this Keiko form or maybe even not the Keiko form, your will, I want our military in there. And I, I always say spouses are first responders because I want to talk to not just the people who are married, but maybe you're not married. Like who's the number one person in your life? Okay. Let's have this conversation. And have a conversation about, you know, we've now been, you said post 9-11, we see people that have served their entire military careers in war. Right. That's baffling, but it is what it is. So what can we do now? And, and one thing people can do is have a discussion about brain donation. And obviously if you're overseas and deployed and and lost your life that would be difficult because it has to happen within a certain time constraint we're talking about body organs but this goes on to you know stateside and i would hope it wouldn't be by suicide because i really want to eradicate it but whether it's a, a, a catastrophic injury or a or a automobile accident 
donating these brains so that there can be more understanding of what's happening within the brain could be very, very beneficial. Um, and like I've said, I feel as though Chad and, and many of the, the men that came before him in our community that took their lives, they serve their country even further by donating their brains and bringing this, bringing this to, to life. 100%. Now, let me ask you, when you found that kind of official diagnosis, did that bring you a sense of peace? I mean, I had a feeling you'd ask me this. <laughs> I could tell. Um, no. So I read this book. Um, it's called Good Morning Monster, and it's a therapist, and she talks about um, using confidentiality, changing their names. She talks about multiple stories, and it isn't anything relating to a story like mine, but it's people that have experienced trauma. And I remember when she, I listened to it on an audiobook, and when she said it, I thought, that is it. And um, she says, the unconscious doesn't care about facts. And that's true. So I believe that Chad's brain because in the early days, people just said his, I remember this. And you have to realize when people are, have experienced, and you know, when people have experienced extreme grief and trauma, it doesn't really what people say it, it's going to piss you off. Yeah. Right? And people say stupid things sometimes. Oh yeah. man, I, we could write a book about it. Like yeah. I always joke that I'm going to make a table book of all yeah. the things not to say, yeah. um, but uh, people would say his brain was sick. His brain was just sick. He just wasn't thinking right. His brain was just sick. And it's like, you can't say that to someone with, with that has a love like that, you know, like that spouse love that it just didn't make sense. But when she said the unconscious doesn't care about facts, I thought that sums up my entire thought because I could sit here. And while I do believe that the things I've talked about affect the brain and the body. And I do think that it causes thoughts that, that aren't rational. And um, I can understand the science of it, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I served 20 years too. And I was with someone for 27 years and I was a teammate and I shared everything with that person. And at the end of the day, they left, they left you. And um, that might be hard for some people listening and they're going to say, no, that's not right. You know, and, and, you know, I know Chad loved me and I loved him more than the world, but that's kind of, that's where it sits. Yeah. I'm going to ask you something and, you know, it's, it's something that I've heard people share that have lost loved ones to suicide. And, and I hope I, it, this doesn't come off in the wrong way. It's, it's, it's a, it's a question and, and, and you've kind of alluded to it, but like, do you feel that Chad's loss, him taking his life was a selfish exercise? No, no. And, and I know that, People, I've, you know, spent a lot of time <laughs> diving down suicide, everything. Um, I do think that there's a group of people that say, that's just the easy way out, you know? Right. 
again, the, the, the rational mind in me says, Chad was selfless and he was very thoughtful in his life, in his life to me and his life to his kids. Um, he was gentle. He was a gentle person. And I have to believe that even though he didn't share what he was feeling or struggling with, or maybe he didn't even recognize or know what was going on, I don't know. But if he did, he was trying to make it easier on us by not being any sort of like issue. Yeah, the burden, right, that you had to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think he just didn't want to put any hardship on us. And I think that's, you know, that goes back, then that gets tricky, right? Because you think, I, I have a couple friends whose, whose husbands did express their struggle and, and were very open. And, and a one girlfriend says, that was a gift. He gave me a gift. And I'll be honest, when she says that, it like, it cuts me deep every single time she says it, but she's entitled to feel that. And as her friend, I'm, I'm happy for her. She can feel that. But on the flip side, the way I feel is like, he didn't even give me a chance to help him. And so in some ways it feels a little bit like a betrayal. It's like, you didn't trust me enough to tell me to even let me try. And, and I think that feeling specifically is what sits with me always. And that's why I find myself so steadfast down this path is I didn't get to help him. So in the meantime, I just want to help every other person I can find because I don't want anybody to feel this. It's terrible. And I think, you know, and you're doing that and I want to get into that. And I think what you, by saying that, you know, if you look at everything that afflicts our service members, suicide is the most stigmatizing. Um, yeah. Because these are service members that are struggling and, 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 and need help. And, you know, uh, historically, uh, the military has not looked favorably on people saying, I'm not feeling right in my head. Well, right. then you're less than, right? Like, you're not the warrior if you, yeah. like, you know, suck it up, right? There's all these like, and, and I, I do believe there is change occurring. I see it, but it takes like people like you that are just pounding the pavement. And so let's talk about Chad X and the awareness that you're bringing through that, because I think it's amazing. So talk to me about Chad X, how that was born, what that is. So Chad being super competitive, and a goal setter. He climbed Kenya, Mount Kenya and Mount Kilimanjaro in 2012 with a bunch of team guys. And I think he just saw that as he loved to be in the mountains, but he saw it as a great challenge and personal quest and came home and said to me, I want to climb the seven summits. And I was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> um, so fast forward a couple of years later, he decides that he wants to go climb Aconcagua which Aconcagua is the second highest summit in the world next to Everest, 23,000 feet and some change. And um, 
he, and it's pretty expensive. And so, you know, we saved money and he trained for it. And he did that by doing step-ups. He, he did a whole bunch of working out and he would lay on his side and raise his legs up. You know, he calls those the Jane Fondas. So imagine <laughs> yeah. like these short shorts and really nice legs just in the garage doing his Jane Fondas. And I would sit out there and talk with him and make fun of him, but he would do step-ups on a box. <clears throat> And he would build up over time and he used a backpack. And a lot of times he would do them in just short shorts or basically some boxer briefs, because as Chad says, ounces equal pounds, Sarah. And he <laughs> wanted to know, it makes me laugh. He wanted to know exactly how much weight he was stepping up. So he had his backpack and um, he used a projector and he would project Aconcagua, I have a picture of it, Aconcagua on the back of our garage door. So I have, a, a, I think it's a video actually, but it's a video of him doing step ups, which is really weird when you go back and you watch someone who has passed away in video, like you get to watch them in real time. Yeah. I watch that video a lot, but um, he's doing step ups with Aconcagua because he was very focused when he would train. And so he was looking at what his end goal would be. And anyway, he got to where he would do a thousand step ups at a time because he just felt like that was a good number to consistently do so that he knew he could get up this mountain and not be, as he says, the soup sandwich that couldn't make it to the top. <laughs> and uh, when he, at his memorial, I spoke at his memorial and um, I, don't, I didn't give it much thought, but that was something I shared when I spoke is him training for this mountain, just so people could better understand just his mindset and his dedication and his focus and so many things in his life. And um, I, I work for CrossFit. So there were CrossFit people in the audience. I think some of them were like, we should do this as a workout. And a few of them did it as a workout, which was great. I didn't really think much of it. Um, and then it kind of just took and people started doing this workout because as we know, um, workouts of the fallen typically are really hard and just kind of sucky. Yeah. Right? I, I was actually about to say, and really sucky. Yeah. 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 Like that's kind of how they're intended to be. Um, I guess for you to just kind of sit in it for a while and yeah. think about that person and, and their story and their life. And, and, um, I was approached by go Ruck and said, Hey, you know, and, and the Navy SEAL Foundation and said, why don't we do this as a workout and we could do it around Veterans Day and we could raise awareness and, you know, it still happens today, but in those early days of grief, it really just depends on the day, it really depends on the hour, quite honestly, of what version of Sarah you're going to get. And they called and I said, nope. <laughs> and they were like, copy that. Um, <laughs> But I did. I went, I went on a van trip and I traveled through the Pacific Northwest and I laid on a picnic table in the Redwoods one day for hours. And I thought about this and I just thought, because before October of 2018, if you would have Googled Chad Wilkinson, you would have never found him. Like he didn't exist. He, he really was that quiet professional that that's referenced when talking about some of our military. I mean, he just was an under the radar guy and his face had then been shown around the internet, which was weird for me because I knew how he felt about it. 
anyway, I just, I just kind of came to realize that if we could use his face and his story as kind of a launching point for a discussion for all of our veterans that are still here, that are still with us, but are also struggling, then that could potentially do a whole lot of good. And that's all I wanted to do was, was honor him by doing good. It's so funny you say that because I often share the story about the evolution of the Travis Mannion Foundation. And it was originally, you know, the first Lieutenant Travis Mannion Memorial Fund. And then when we became a, a 501c3 and got our nonprofit status and, and actually had grown significantly in the first few years, my dad came back and said, um, I'm thinking we should change the name. And our board was like, well, what do, what do you mean? Well, I don't know if Travis would want this named after him, you know, and and it was this realization that, no, he probably wouldn't. He probably still wouldn't because, you know, I'm sure Travis and Chad shared a lot of the same similarities. Like they were humble. They were quiet. They weren't looking for anything to be about them. And I'm always quick to say that my kind of rebuttal to Travis is, hey, I, I understand, but your name and your story represents this generation of service members that have given their lives. And, and if you don't put a face in the and a name to a story, to a, a subject, then it, it falls flat. Right. And so um, I'm always like, sorry, but this is how it is, you know? Um, and so I, I totally understand that notion. Um, and I appreciate that you kind of came to the same place that we did. And, and it is important. And I think this idea, you know, you talk about these, workouts for the fallen. And there's one in Travis's name and it's totally sucky. And like you said, but like the idea that all of these people are coming out and challenging themselves to do a thousand step-ups. Number one, it's really hard. Number two, it takes a lot of time, but number three, it's perhaps the best way for people to be very reflective on the role they can play on, on, the suicide epidemic in our veteran community. And so um, there's a real like beauty to that. And um, this uh, workout has grown exponentially. Um, I remember seeing it before I even knew the story behind it. I just kept seeing Chad X, Chad X everywhere. And I'm like, what is this, you know? And, but it was also something where it was just Chad X. So it, it compelled me to be like, I got to find out what this means, what this is all about. Um, and so I love the way that you have taken that platform and used it to share Chad's story by educating others. And, you know, I think that is the most important thing that us, the living can do is especially with um, something like this, like that you're able to go and say, you know, I mean, very easy for you to have said that no um, mm -hmm. when they called and to just said like, I got to live my life. I got to take care of my kids. I've got to focus on all of that, you know, and, and that's the easy choice, right? The easy choice is to not do anything and to just be very internalized in you and what it means to you, what Chad meant to you, what, how you have to move on. And I think the harder choice is to say like, no, I, I, I have to do something. I have to make sure that this story, our story 
means something. And um, I think that's beautiful. Thank you. I mean, I do think the workout is very um, poetic, so to speak. Yeah. He, 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 you know, he had no idea when he was doing it. He was just doing what he did. And the fact that it's not technical and anybody can truly do it, even in a scaled form, um, I think there is that poetic beauty of spending an hour or a little bit more than an hour on the box and doing the step ups and seeing where your mind goes or talking with a friend. And, and you know, I think the other thing to recognize is I didn't seek this out. I never wanted to be in this position, but I am. And I recently was somewhere and had someone, you know, not everyone's been kind. Most people have been wonderful, but someone flippantly kind of mentioned that he was talking about veteran suicides. And he said, you know, Wilkinson's the most famous one. And that you'll see his wife and she's on a bunch of podcasts and it's like, well, um, famous is to be widely known. And I don't think anybody would choose to be famous for this reason. And that's not my intention. And I definitely intend for this to grow. And I swam a, a open water 5k earlier this year in honor of Bill Mulder, a Navy SEAL that took his life. And I fully intend to bring other names to life, not just Chad's and get people to say their names, but being someone that comes out and speaks is, is hard. It's, it's like emotionally hard. And I can sit here with you and have this great conversation and, and even laugh and smile, but people don't see all the behind the scenes, you know, of, of when I cry and, and the messages I get on social media. I mean, I have been inundated by people who reach out and it's surprising that when you create this small crack for people to talk, how much they really share. And people sharing very intimate, private things with me. And I sit there and I just am trying to respond to every single person. And my friends have said, you can't really respond to everyone. I mean, that's just, that's not realistic. And it's like, but, but I have to, because this is my calling. And as, and as hard as it is, I don't quit. You know, this idea that I struggle with that a lot too. Um, this idea that's like, oh, everybody knows who Travis Mannion is. And I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's a tough place to be in because it's like this idea, like you said, like no one, no one's looking to, to have fame over tra because of tragedy. Right. And, and people are very forgiving and the first days and weeks and months and maybe even the first year. Right. But if you put yourself out there, no matter how you put yourself out there, or if you have the purest intentions, there's always going to be the detractors. There's always going to be the people that, you know, think you're doing it for a different reason or have a misconceived notion of who you are, what you represent. And, and it is important to look back and, and to keep looking forward at those people that you are affecting. And um, I think that's just about having the belief in yourself and, and the passion and purpose for what you're doing. Um, yeah, it's well said. I mean, I, the, the, uh, and again, I'm not, I, 
the response to this has been amazing. My, my community here in Virginia Beach, like my home gym and my friends, like I, I'll cry just talking about them and the love that they've shown me and this mission. And, you know, we're now taking Chad 1000X to what we call live events. So it's going to be ran in bigger cities. Uh, we're going to be in Virginia Beach, Jacksonville, Florida, which is the GORUCK headquarters. We're down in Fort Pierce, Florida. I'll be speaking at the, the Navy SEAL muster down there. Uh, it's going to be in New York City at the Veterans Memorial Garden, and we're in San Diego. Um, and I only expect those live events to grow. And what we're trying to do is create this environment where people can obviously come together for this workout or this hour of kind of suck, yeah. right? Hardship. But like through your physical hardship, maybe they might express some of their emotional or mental hardship. And, and I, it sounds cheesy or maybe too woohoo-y, but people need people. And that's what we've created here. Um, and we've partnered with Sebastian Younger, who is the author of Tribe and the filmmaker of Restrepo. And we're doing Vets Town Halls where veterans will be able to speak at these live events and share what their service means to them. And it's a little wide open, right? I mean, they might share deployments or hardships on their family or losing a friend, but it's, it gives them, gives them a voice and, and maybe makes them feel just validated. And in turn, civilians can attend these events and better understand our military. Cause, cause if you weren't raised about the military, you don't know what you don't know. Right. With these guys and men and women that serve our military after, especially now, 20 years of war, and we see them exposed to trauma and PTSD and blast waves and TBI, we also see a real hardship when they try to reintegrate into society because the state of our world, which could be another conversation for another day, there's a lot of opinions on where we fall in regards to other countries in war. And it leaves our veterans feeling, was their service worth it? Are they honorable? And that's just another place we see them, them struggle is you've done your time and now you have to transition to, to civilian life. And I guess it's just, um, the subject is broad is what I'm trying to say in the ways that they struggle. It's not just physical wounds or these invisible wounds, but it extends beyond their service and integrating into civilian life. And the Chad 1000X workout just creates this, this unique platform for them to come together and at the very least be heard. Yeah, community, right? We talk about it at Travis Manning Foundation. Obviously, uh, Go Ruck, uh, that's what they're all about. So uh, community is key, um, mm -hmm. especially with our military community and making sure that no matter if they're wearing the uniform or if they've stepped out of it, that community is there for them. Sarah, I feel like I could talk to you for like the next hour. Um, I know, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm really excited. We're going to be posting, um, uh, all the information about how you can be a part of the, uh, the Chad 1000 X and, um, get involved. And, but I want to leave with the last question. I ask everybody who comes on the resilient life podcast. I feel like throughout the last hour, you've answered it in so many ways, but 
as succinctly as you can, what does living a resilient life look like for you? I think I'm figuring it out right now. (laughs) Um, Man, that's a good question. That's a good question, right? Um, For me, it's just about, you know, with my job before, we always used to say you do the right things for the right people for the right reasons. And I believe that. And I always kind of treated that as my guiding tenant in life. Uh, Now, I I still agree with that. But if I were to just sum it up, as I've said before, and it'll make me cry. (laughs) Give me just one second. I love Chad so much. And um, I couldn't help him, but I am gonna do everything in my power moving forward to help others. And I think to honor him and to honor our children, my whole goal is to not only be good, but do good for others in this life. You're doing it. You're doing it each and every day. You are an inspiration to so many. Um, Keep pounding the pavement, (laughs) getting the word out, keep sharing your story, keep sharing Chad's story. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the Resilient Life podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it a lot.